Last year, uh, Ian Fenton and I, uh, Ian's one of the other elders here at the church, uh, went on a, a fire marshal course um, so we could be qualified fire marshals, so we could meet our insurance um, <coughs> quota, uh, so that we are covered in the event of a fire at our building. Um, and it was more interesting than it sounded, um, and it was definitely more interesting than I feared. And one of the things that we learned on the day was, as we were learning not just about all the procedures, but just learning about fire itself. Uh, perhaps you already knew this, that there are three things needed for a fire to burn. You need heat, you need fuel, and you need oxygen. And understanding that's what you need for a fire then basically shapes then how you uh, attack a fire or try to you know, stop a fire. Uh, you need to take one of those three things out. It's very hard to take heat out, um, but you can take away the fuel or you can take away the oxygen. In a similar way, for, for us to grow as Christians, for us to, to function as a healthy, flourishing church, we don't only need ourselves and God, individually. It's not just about me and God. We need each other. We need the church. We need God's people. So as we look at this New Year's series at our vision and values as a church here at Rotherham Evangelical Church, uh, here on REC, here's the third of our commitments. We are committed to one another. We are committed to one another. We are committed, firstly, to the Bible as God's word. We are committed, secondly, last week Rob led us through this, to, to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour And then thirdly, we are committed to one another. And if you look at our our vision and values section on our website, there are four areas that we've marked out, specifically working that out. We are committed to one another in prayer. We are committed to to one another in friendship. We are committed to one another in acts of service. We are committed to one another in giving. We are committed to one another. Because it's vital. Because... It's what God has created us to, in Christ to be, a part of his people. Because God has commanded him. And because God knows what's best for us. And above all that, because it's good. Being part of a people who are committed to one another is good. There is no pleasure or or beauty in this world that is not more pleasurable for being shared. So think of a a beautiful sunset that you can uh, can maybe get up in the morning and not sunset, sunrise in the morning. And you can watch it on your own and and, and think, wow, this is amazing. But to, to watch it with another person and to be able to share that glance where you look at each other and just go without saying anything, this is amazing. Or or some of you are are into gaming, online gaming. Online gaming is flourishing because it's better to play with others than it is alone. The most popular sports in the world are team sports because it's done together. And even individual sports, maybe you're, you're into tennis or golf. When the individual who wins stands up at the end, what's the first thing they do? They thank their team. They acknowledge that it's not all about them, that this has been a a team effort. I guess most of us would would recognise the truth to say it it is good to be part of a team. 
And it's even better to be part of a family. To know that you are loved. And to know you have a people, you have a a responsibility, but also a privilege to love and care for. We at REC are committed to one another. So let's look, let's take a walk together to look at God's command to us, to his people, to love. Because these commitments that we talked about are, we could sum up under the heading, it's a call to love. We're committed to love one another. So take a walk with me into, into this letter of 1 John that, that Esther just read for us. It comes in, uh, the passage we just read is just in the, in the middle of this letter. It's a letter written, we think, by John, one of Jesus' earliest followers and disciples, one of his closest friends, written to a church, a people, a gathering of Jesus' followers, who it becomes clear as you read through, he, he knows them and he loves them. And love is one of his big themes. Actually, it's one of his big themes, John. He's referred to in the Bible as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He gets a, a special title. He actually gives it to himself in his gospel. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And he refers to the church that he's writing to in loving terms. He calls them dear children. And he calls them friends or, or his beloved. The ones that he loves or the ones that God loves. And in his letter... There are two great themes that he uses to describe who who God is and then who we are called to be. Light and love. God is light. Find that in chapter 1. And then perhaps more well known, God is love. And he writes his letter with with one or maybe two main aims. Um, Here's, here's one at the end, you find it in chapter 5. Here's the main one, I think. He says this in verse 13 of chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. <coughs> that you may know that you belong. That you may know that you are, you're in. That you belong to God. You're one of his children. Assurance. But there's a second one as well where he ends the letter. This this parting note, 5 verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Two big aims. That they would know who they are and what they have and therefore act in accordance with it. Parents and indeed children may well be familiar with this formula. And we all qualify in one of those two categories, even if it's been a while since we would have said, I'm a child. We're all children of somebody. You know that, that, that moment where a parent says to a, child, a misbehaving child, that's not how you behave. It's one of those statements that you look at it and think, well, that's, it is exactly how they behave because that's what they're doing. They're doing it right there. They say, that, that's not how you behave. Why? Because, because you're my child. Because I have brought you up in a different way. I have set the rules for you. And in light of that, stop it. Anybody familiar with that? Know who you are and then act accordingly. 
That's what John is doing in this letter. And that's what we find in verse 10 of the passage that, that Esther just read. So if you shut your Bibles, page 1226 in our, our own church Bibles, 1 John 3. Listen to this again. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Who are we? And how are we to act? And he says one of the the tests of this is are we people who love their brothers and sisters? Do we love one another? And from that verse, John goes off into a little sidebar about love and loving each other. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to, to hate And so what we're going to do to start with is just walk through these verses and pick out some of the the headlines, some of the things of note for us as we think about what it means to be lovers of each other. So look at verse 11. It's going to help you if you've got a Bible to, to look at these verses. Verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. This is probably written a couple of decades, maybe a little bit more, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, after his life and death and resurrection and and then ascension. And the church is in its early days, but already there are people coming into the church and saying, hey guys, we've got something new for you, something better. And what John does is he writes to this church, he says, this is how it's always been. This is how it's always been. This is the teaching of Jesus and, and this is the teaching of the whole Christian faith. You are called to love one another. This is an, an old message. This is a message with staying power, command. It was true then, and it's true now. Written two or three decades after Jesus, and it's true now. We are commanded to love one another. But, okay, well, what, does, what does love look like? What does it mean? Well, he gives us an illustration. He gives us a family illustration. Not his, but the illustration of Cain and Abel from the early chapters of the Bible. The first brothers. Brothers being what brothers will be. Fighting, falling out. Okay, it doesn't always end in murder, but it did in this case. (coughs) Do not be like Cain, verse 12, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is a family illustration. The church is called to be a family. And what's at the heart of this? It says, love and don't hate. But notice where love or hate start. They start in the heart. They start with Cain's reaction and attitude and relationship with God. Both Cain and Abel, the first brothers, the the two sons of Adam and Eve, bring an offering to God, the Bible tells us. And Abel brings an acceptable, a pleasing offering to God from his flock. But Cain's offering was not acceptable. We're not given the details, but it reveals his heart towards God. That he didn't want to please God. He wasn't giving his all towards God. 
And our, as we consider our response to one another, this illustration says, look at, look at the heart. Look at how you act towards God. Start there before thinking about how we're going to act towards one another. And he moves on. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Here we go, his big theme, assurance. Do you belong to God? We, we know, he says, that we've passed from death to life if there is love, genuine love. But what is love? What is this love that he's talking about? If on the way in, I'd have surveyed you all or gone out into the streets of Rotherham and asked that question, what is love? We'd have got a, a hundred different definitions from a hundred different people. Love is a, a feeling. Love is an action. We get different strengths. Love is giving your last roller to the one that you love. Love is, well look how the Bible describes it. Here is the definition of love. Look down at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What is love? What is this, this overarching commitment that we have to one another? How do we define it? How do we measure it? We look to the cross. We look to a real event in history 2,000 years ago. We look to Jesus. God taking on humanity. The sinless man taking on the sin of the world. It's grace. It's sacrificial, costly love. This is what love looks like. Putting others before yourself. Before your comfort. Before your rights. Before even your very life. That's the high bar of love that God's people are called to. And notice too, verse 17 and 18, it is immensely practical. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love not with words, oh, sorry, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And he's not saying there, don't say I love you. He's saying, don't say I love you if it's not true. If you're not going to back up with those words with, with real action. But if you cut beneath the surface of a, of, of a comment, is there real love underneath? Do we bleed love for one another? This is the love that God's people are commanded to take, to, to take part in. And if we stop there, we've got to admit that that's costly. That's not warm fuzziness on a Sunday afternoon. It requires honesty and openness both to love and to be loved. There's no place here for hypocrisy. There's no place here for virtue signalling. Can't say it. There's no place here for pretending that you're better than you are. 
This is a place, this is a culture, this is a church full of sinners. Maybe you've never been to this church before and you're wondering what we're about. We are a church that admits, fully admits, that we have not got it all sorted, that we're broken. And that we still very much belong in the category of people who think and act and speak in a way to which says, God, we don't want you to be king. We want to be in charge. And we want things to be well for us. But as well as that, we're in the category of people who say, that's all true, but we know that God is there. And we know that God has reached down in grace to us. And we know that God desires the best for us. And he has come to, to heal us and to transform us. To be the people he made us to be. To take away that love of, of self and to replace it with a love for God and a love for us, for others. This is a people who are aware of their, their high calling to love God and to love others. But also aware of their low standing before God in and of themselves. Because of their sinful thoughts and words and deeds. This is a family of broken, healing people. Pointing each other to the God who has loved us infinitely in Jesus. And continues to love us and to heal us and to mould us and to purify us. Sometimes painfully so. Through his spirit and through his word. That is what the church is. And that's why we are committed to one another. Because we have received the love of God. And now we are called to love with that same love to others. God's love. Expressed through his people creates a community which is worthy to bear the name of Christ. The one who gave himself for us. And so therefore, a church is both utterly imperfect. We are. I know that for certain because I'm part. We are so imperfect and yet, and yet we are called to love one another. To be part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. And as we grow in that, as we commit to this, falteringly, misstepingly, making mistakes here, there and everywhere, we will display to the world something of the glory of God in Jesus Christ and his wonderful gospel. So we are commanded to love one another. What are the specifics then of our love? In prayer, committed to one another in prayer, committed to one another in friendship, in acts of service, and in giving. As I've been preparing this, this message, it would have been easy at this point to have then spent the next, well, probably about four hours working through each one of these. There's so much to say, and instead of doing that, don't worry, I want to encourage you to go away and look at these. Jump on our website. 
Look at the Bible verses that are, that are mentioned for, for each of these four areas of, of the love that we are called to and committed to. But I just wanted to draw our attention to, to a couple. A couple of headlines for us. The first one is this commit, committed to each other in prayer. We noticed, didn't we, with Cain and Abel. That illustration that the issue before it ever got to hatred and, and then murder starts with Cain's relationship with God. It starts with our hearts before God and towards God that's then worked out in practice. Perhaps if you've been in this church for a while, perhaps you've been in any church, you, you know that you should be praying for other people. Perhaps you want to pray for others, but you find it hard. What do I pray for? What's going on in their lives? Maybe I find it hard just to pray generally. I think a lot of us are in that category. Finding it hard to pray. But also to know what to pray for each other. Because our church is of a certain size now where we're not going to know everybody well. We're not going to know what's going on in the, the sort of the deep recesses of each other's lives. How do we how do we pray for each other? Well, I want to give us one tip. It's not mine. Stolen from somebody else, like all the best ideas. Don Carson, as a theologian, wrote a book called Spiritual Reformation, um, and in it he looks at the prayers of the New Testament and the prayers of Paul asking this question how does Paul and how does Jesus pray for for his people for the church what do we pray when when we don't know what's going on well how does the bible teach us to pray maybe you could flick to flick over to Ephesians We get a page number, shout it out. Ephesians 3. Yeah, 1174 at the bottom there. Just listen as we read this. What does Paul pray for, for the, this church, this group of Christians? For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's not praying about illness or praying about struggles they are good things to pray for and if we know about them we can pray for those but but beyond that what he's praying there if i can sum it up is i'm praying that you would know more of who god is and more of how much god loves you that is a good prayer to pray for people if you if you know nothing else going on in their lives we can be praying that for one another I'm going to stop before this goes into a sermon on Ephesians 3. 
practically? Why don't you ask somebody else how they pray for others? Maybe there's somebody in your, uh, in your life group or somebody you've spent time with, and when they pray for other people, you just think, wow, that's, yeah. You, you, you almost want to say, even if you're not particularly charismatic, you want to say, yeah, amen. Because, because they seem to know how to pray for people. I'll ask them, how did you learn? How do you pray for others? Ask for help. We're not called to do this thing alone. This thing called faith. This following of Jesus. The second thing I want us to just stop and focus on, the second specific, is is this friendship. We are committed to one another in friendship. When I first looked at these uh, uh, values, vision and values, I was quite surprised to, to see friendship there. I think I've often been in churches where we even talked about loving one another, and this phrase has been used. You know, we need to love each other even if we don't like each other. I kind of get that. But our commitment here is, is, is for more. More than, I don't like you, but I love you. I mean, that's a, a pretty, you know, like, backhanded compliment, isn't it? Maybe we wouldn't actually say it to somebody. We are committed to one another in friendship. I wonder if, if we had the ability here to, to, to lift all the chairs up whilst you sat on them and then just mix them all up and then plonk them back down so you were sat next to somebody you'd never sat next to before. I wonder how we'd feel about that. Maybe we'd never, none of us would ever come again. And yet there's a sense in here in this commitment that we as a church want to, to love each other in a way that means that we, we get to know one another and we, we're friends. That we don't, we don't become a church that we turn up and we only talk to the people that are like us. And we only talk to the people that we like and the people that, you know, it's easy. Now there's, there's an idea in our commitment here to to family that it's not saying we're all going to get on perfectly we're all going to be equally friendly and equally likely to hang out all the time but it is saying we're going to know each other well enough that we're going to continue being there for each other even if there's a person who winds you up a bit that's family isn't it there's a family dynamic here What is friendship? I think friends are people who spur us on. Friends are people, actually the Bible tells us this, that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And that's got the idea that friends are people who are willing to say hard things to us. Who are willing to say, mate, you just need to shut up. If anybody's thinking of saying that now, that would be, you know inappropriate but probably fair friends are willing to say hard things to us friends are people who are there who sit with us in our sorrow friends are people who delight in our success without any envy friends are people who seek the best for us not the easiest for us friends are people who are willing to be seen with us at our very worst friends are people who we walk alongside 
towards a common goal. And when one falls behind, the others pull them on. I don't feel as though I've done justice to friendship. There's so much more to say. But I think the picture is this. As we mature as Christians, we should be experiencing more and more friendship amongst each other. With all of us. I think that will be one of the marks of a mature Christian. That there will be genuine friendships with people who are completely different to us. And people who are completely unlike us. And people who, were it not for the fact that we both love Jesus, we would probably never spend time with. And yet, a mark of maturity is that we will grow in, in love and care. And, and even delight in people who are completely different to us. I wonder, do we think that's possible? Do we think that's something that we want? I think that's something that the world is searching for. And stuck in between this, this position of, of wanting to be comfortable but also delighting in the goodness of diversity and, and wanting a people who will walk alongside us. This is what Jesus is creating in his church. To be friends with one another, with, with everybody. But it's costly. Didn't we see that in 1 John 3? That love is sacrificial and costly. It means probably thinking ahead of time about the people we've not spoken to for a while or maybe ever. And it means being deliberate in speaking to the people who we think, I've got nothing to say, I've got no idea. Maybe you're somebody younger and you think, what am I going to talk? As a, you know, a 15-year-old boy, what am I going to talk to a, a woman in her 70s about? Or vice versa. That's cost, isn't it? It's easier just to talk to people like us. Or to talk to somebody who speaks a different language. As their first language. And, then, and therefore you, there's that awkwardness of, of having slow conversations. But love says, commit. Be deliberate. Be welcoming. Be hospitable. Count the cost. Okay. The outworkings of our love. We're moving on. This is a rubbish heading. I'm sorry. I lack creativity. But here's some just practical things then. About how we are already as a church seeking to, to live out this commitment to one another. The first one is, is life groups. So we, we recognise that we can't know everybody equally. We can't know everybody equally well. And with an equal depth. But we want to as a church have a, a way that we can get to know some people more deeply. We call it life groups, small groups that meet either fortnightly or weekly to get together and do life together. Read the Bible together, pray together, know what's going on in each other's lives, pray for one another. We want to encourage you to, to be part of one of our life groups. We might need to add more life groups, that's good. 
practically, it's one of the ways that we're going to outwork this commitment to each other. Smaller than that, we want to encourage each other to be meeting outside of formal meeting times. Over Christmas, Jai, um, who's not here, I don't think, is one of our elders, texted me and just said, hey, do you want to meet and read the Bible in the new year for a few weeks? I was like, yeah, that, that'd be great. I feel as though that's normally the thing that I ask of people. So we met on Wednesday, we met in a, a coffee shop, and we sat and we read a few verses of the Bible together and just talked, asked some simple questions. What's it saying? What's challenging about this for us? What questions do we have that we need to go away and think about? What's encouraging? What does this show us about God? What does it show us about ourselves? And we pray together. And it's not massively spectacular, but it's, it's a commitment to one another. Under Christ, as part of his church, saying, let's do this together. Why don't you ask somebody to, to meet with you? And you don't have to do that in a way that says, look, I've got something that you need to think about. It just says, hey, we are friends on the same journey, under the same Lord, seeking to live out our lives for him. You know what? And sometimes I find it hard to read my own Bible by myself. Could, could we meet? Sometimes maybe you don't struggle at all, but let's meet, let's read, let's pray together. Ask some simple questions. What does this show us about God? What does this show us about our need for Jesus? Do it for three weeks, four weeks. You might want to carry on. You might want to stop. It's okay. But doing life together. One of the things we do, want to encourage you, our, our formal membership. We have a formal membership of the church. We, we mentioned it a little bit last week. And as one of our commitments is that we will pray for one another. We've just published our, our new membership directory. One of these, got all the, the names and pictures of our members in. Um, Ian's going to be on the door afterwards, handing these out to the members. Maybe you think, oh, I really want to be praying for people more. One of the ways could be sticking this in your Bible or, you know, by your bed and just each day pray for one person. Maybe sometimes you'll think, you know, you might do that early on in the, in the day enough to go, oh, I might just text them and just say, is there anything I can pray for? It's one practical way that we could be praying for each other. But I don't want to finish there. I don't want to finish on practicalities. So our final point is this, the model for our love. And we've already touched upon it in 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You see, being committed to our community doesn't make you belong to Jesus. What joins us to Jesus is faith. It's in that verse that we were looking at earlier in the kids' slot. Faith in Jesus, in his life, in his righteousness, trusting in his cross work and in his resurrection. That's what brings us in and makes us belong to his community, his church. And so we need to say, you can't love enough to get into the church. You have to receive the love of Christ. So I want us to go back to Jesus as we close. Because all of these four values, these four commitments that we have, Jesus models them for us perfectly. Jesus is the one who prays for his people. 
So you could turn to John chapter 17. And John tells us that just before his death, what Jesus is praying. 17 verse 1, after this, uh, and Jesus said after this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. I pray for them, verse 9. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus prays for his people. Verse 20 tells us, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples that he was with at the time. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Jesus looks ahead to all who will believe and he's praying for them. And Peter is given his, his Peterness, saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll never be true. Everybody else will be true. I never will. Jesus says to him, Peter, you absolutely will, but I have prayed for you. Jesus, in his earthly life, modelled prayer for us, a commitment to see God interacting with his people in grace and truth for their good. And now Jesus has ascended into heaven and he prays for us, he intercedes for us. He represents us before the Father. Jesus is the true friend. Reading John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour, but Jesus is also our friend. Jesus comes and says, I am with you. I count myself with you. That's why he was accused of being a friend of sinners. Because he would hang out with people at their worst. Because he loved them. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, I'll walk with you. He allows us to carry his name in the world, he includes us in his mission. He says, I'm a friend to you. Jesus serves us. Again, John chapter 13, before his death, Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus, Lord and Saviour, gets on his knees and washes their stinky, dirty feet. And he loves them. And he cares for them. And then he calls them to go out and do likewise. Mark 10, verse 45. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many because Jesus is our model in giving generously sacrificially he gave his own life so that we might have life Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep that they might have life and life in all its fullness Jesus models what it is to love And when we fail, as we will, we look again to Jesus. And we say we are not accepted because we love or because our love is enough, but because Jesus' love is enough. And in the light of that knowledge, that we are loved by God, called by him, we then go out to love one another. And we commit 
to that. We barely scratched the surface of this great call to love one another. There's so much more we could say, maybe we ought to say. But let's stop there with our eyes on Jesus, the one who has committed himself to us so that we might have life and life in abundance. Let me pray. Father, we confess that we are failures when it comes to love. Lord, that even as people who have known your love, who have heard your command, who have seen your example, we're still people who struggle with our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. But we are a people who, who have experienced your goodness, God, who have known your forgiveness. And so we ask again, forgive us and change our hearts. Give us a greater love for one another. Mature us. Lord, deepen the friendships of our church. Lord, that we would spur one another on, that we would encourage each other to live for you. Father, even in this next week, we pray we would enjoy and be refreshed by the love of your people. Father, and that we would know the delight of following your commands and seeing that your ways are good, always good. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, we pray these things.